0: january 4th 2008 a little film called one missed call is released it's the only movie in wide release that week we are entering january which is kind of known as like the slums the dumps the cinematic wasteland of a month so let's talk about one missed call Hello, everyone. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being here. If this is your first time here, like the video, share it with your friends, subscribe to the channel. If you are listening on your favorite podcast app, make sure you leave us a like, a review, uh, give us a five-star rating, give us some feedback so we know if we're on the right track here. And uh, today, uh, we are finally now embarking on this journey of watching the theatrical releases in the time that they came out right so this would have been the very first from like a major studio the very first wide release for 2008 now this is directed by eric valete and written by andrew clavin uh andrew clavin is sort of the more interesting figure in this sort of equation uh based on like his imdb eric valete i I don't think he's done anything else that I have seen, nor do I think he really went on to become any sort of important figure in Hollywood. Mainly because like this movie is not well liked by almost anybody. Uh, but back to Andrew Clavin, he is kind of he had, had wrote some big movies in the early two thousands, late nineties, but now is like a right wing commentator on the Daily Wire. Kind of an interesting trajectory, uh, but this is a J-horror remake, right? This is a American remake of the Takashi Miike film, One Missed Call. Uh, I believe in, though in Japan there's a trilogy of movies. I think Takashi Miike only did the first one. I haven't seen any of them, but from based on my research and my note gathering, it seems as though... They followed that original film fairly closely in the remake. Um, may- maybe that's kind of where things went wrong. Uh, but, you know, let's let's go over some of the preliminary stuff and then we can get into the movie. Uh, so for starters, what is my relationship with this movie? What, how, how did th- this movie impact me when I was a kid? In 2008. I would this would I would have been 11 at this point in time in 2008. Uh, I did not see this movie in theaters. I believe it was PG 13, so it wouldn't have been out of the question for me to see it in theaters. Uh, but I just I don't think it just wasn't on my radar. I do remember vividly whether it was like Netflix or Redbox or something like that. I do remember like seeing. The cover the cover is like what stayed with me the most from this movie this movie and like another movie dead silence are like the two kind of covers when i was a kid that like just terrified me i could see them both covers are very similar it's like a white face uh kind of like ominous and threatening on the cover and you're just kind of like what what is this what's What's going on here? So I have a relationship with the cover of the movie, but not the actual movie. I've, I noticed this also a lot, like, in these early 2008 films. Like, I think for me, summertime, summer of 2008, when we start getting into those movies, that's really when I will have been like, yeah, I had I saw this in theaters. I had to see this in theaters. These early movies were probably, like, I, I probably was too young for my mom to, like, be fine with me going to the movies on my own. Um... So, I I think a lot, like, if I didn't, if I wasn't seeing it with my mom, if I wasn't seeing it with a friend whose mom was gonna be there, there's a fairly good chance I wasn't seeing the movie. And I think this kind of, like, falls into that. A lot of these earlier 2008 movies, I would have had to have seen, like, with a parent. So, if my parents didn't have any interest in seeing it, I probably didn't see it either. Uh, But all of that kind of changes in the summer of 2008. I turned 12, and in the back half of this year, My parents seem to be a little more willing to just, like, let me branch out and start doing things on my own. So this was a movie that I saw in Redbox constantly, but never was, like, picking it up to watch. Mainly because I think it was, like, that cover, like, just terrified me so much that I was like, I don't know what this is. I'm going to stay, like, far, far away from this. This would have been in, like, a period of time... Post seeing Freddy vs Jason, where like I'm just I'm not interested in, in horror movies. Like I don't I don't want to see these movies yet. Like this would have been at a time in my life where I was way more interested in you know like like, like the action movies, the comedy movies. Uh, I was I was kind of still interested in like movies geared for kids. Like, National Treasure like was a big deal for me around this time. Uh, I had yet to really like branch out into like. Oh, I'm into adult movies now. As I mentioned in the last episode, that kind of really changes in the summer of 2008 with The Dark Knight. So this would have been a movie that I just I wholeheartedly avoided. It would have scared me. The cover alone scared me, so I was like, "Keep me out of here. I don't want to see this." The movie was made for a budget of r- roughly $20 million, like a pretty pretty typical like studio horror movie budget for these things. I think I, it's kind of like the one thing about like Hollywood and studios that sort of remained consistent. These sort of studio budgeted horror movies, like they roughly are getting in the. It's probably now like decreased some. Um, like I, I'm sure now it's probably closer like in the ten to fifteen million dollar range. But in this time, like even today, it's still true that you could even if your movie sucks, like you could still put out. A horror movie with a $20 million budget. And still make a pretty hefty return on that. Uh, I think this movie's problem. So it had a budget of $20 million, It grossed $45 million worldwide. So I mean it, it still probably made money. I'm not certain how well this film was advertised. How well this film was marketed. Uh, but I'm I'm positive that it made some kind of money. I think the problem is this movie has it doesn't have any stars? At least you know in other J horror remakes you get thing you get like a, a Naomi Watts to star in The Ring, or you get like a, a Sarah Michelle Gellar, who at this time is a much bigger star than she is. Like this would have been like Buffy time. You get her and she's in The Grudge, and like these people are draws. These people like bring people in to see the movie. There's no draws, no. No actor that's pulling you into seeing this movie. There's there's nothing there, and so I think that inevitably is a big problem with the movie. I just I don't think it. I I don't know what they spent twenty million dollars on. It's one of the grossest, ugliest movies that I've seen, and I just I don't. I'm getting a little ahead of myself and talking about the movie, but I, I just I don't I don't see what they spent the money on. And I think without if they had a big name playing that lead role. I think this is probably a movie that makes 50, 60 million dollars probably makes even upwards of $80 million. But without that star, without someone there really like driving people to go see it. Like, I just, I think that's a big problem. I also don't, I don't really know this is also weirdly like the film was announced in 2005 and I don't even think they started production on it until like mid 2006 Uh, The movie was originally slated to come out in the summer of 2007. That would have been probably a bigger draw as well. If they were able to get this movie out in the summer of 07, it probably makes more money. Uh, But the film was delayed. And I also wish this movie had come out in the summer of 07 because then I wouldn't have had to have watched it for this show. Um, I... (sighs) I'm gonna be very like careful not to shit on a movie like this is. There's a lot of hard work that goes into making movies, and I really do, I, I, it's my favorite art form. It is the thing I love the most in this world besides my wife, child, and dogs. Like, I, I love movies, and so like even bad movies, I think there's things you can look at and say like, oh, well, I like this, and I, and, I, and I like this, and especially with these movies. <laughs> For this show, where I'm kind of looking at them with rose tinted glasses, because like these are the movies from my youth that I remember, like that I'm like that I knew I had to go see, that I really desperately wanted to watch, that I would beg my mom for permission to watch them, or I would be like anxiously waiting for them to come up on Netflix so we could rent it, or anxiously just flipping through the Red Box at Hannaford while my mom was getting groceries, like hoping that this movie would be in there. So I don't want to like crap on all, all over these movies because like there, there's a part of them like. Even a movie as bad as this has elements to it that like, I wish was around in modern movie making. At least in modern like, marketing and modern excitement around movies. Now, like I said, this movie got delayed to January of 2008. Uh, it was originally supposed to star Ed Harris and Gabriel Byrne, but they dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. I don't know if either of those people are really the star that this movie needs, Uh, I assume they were both, like, going to be involved somewhat in, like, the detective role. I assume that's kind of what they were being approached to play, especially Ed Harris. Um, I would have loved to have seen Ed Harris in this movie. Uh, But yeah, I I don't really know if they really possess the kind of star power that would have been needed to, like, really propel this movie towards $100 million domestic box office. But I will say, I it's also just strange timing for this movie to come out just in general it's you know the the ring is like oh two the grudge is like oh three oh four and by the time this movie even comes out all of those movies have sequels like they're they're in like sequel territory they're they've made kind of franchises out of the grudge and out of the ring before this movie is even like in development which is why it just it just seems like such a, kind of a strange, kind of a strange choice to make this movie. Like, I, I, I again, I'm not familiar with the original film. I'm familiar with Takashi Mike, but, like, again, that's not really, a, a, he's not a huge name in America. That's not enough, at least, like, to draw, like, people to the box office. So I'm not certain, like, and I don't know if there's some kind of, like, weird cult following around his film and around the original in Japan that, like, makes it so that you want to remake this movie in America. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how all that came to be and, like, why this was decided. Uh, like, information on the production of this movie is, is a little difficult to find, mainly because it, it seemingly was just dumped. This seems to be that's the best case scenario, I think, for this movie. I think it they were kind of hoping to capitalize on this J horror phase. They we're kind of at the tail end of it, and I think they kind of recognize that, at least the studios do. And so they just dumped it in January. like, we'll make whatever we make, we'll make, it's fine. And they probably still ended up making money on it. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I think this movie falls. It's kind of where I think this movie is at. I think No one was that excited about it. I don't really think the studio had that much faith in it. And I think it just kind of got dumped and then ended up making some money back. So I think the studio at the end of the day is probably happy with that. They definitely didn't lose a bunch of money on it. But uh, I I definitely think if it follows the original film closely, that could be part of the problem. Because I think this movie just has just a a ton of issues. And so that's all I want to say about the production side of things. Let's talk about the movie. Allow me just to pull up the old trusted IMDb here. Um, There's only one to two cast members in this movie that I'm actually genuinely excited about. Uh, So you have Edward Burns playing Detective Jack Andrews. You have Shannon Sossaman playing Beth, who is our our lead character. And then you have, who I think is the best casting choice, and steals the show... For the five minutes he's in this movie, you have Ray Wise playing Ted Summers. And there's a, a moment in the beginning where Megan Good shows up. Uh, she plays a, a woman named Shelley. I was kind of hoping she was going to be our focus. Megan Good at that point in her career is kind of in this place where she, she can be a leading woman in these low-budget horror movies. She's mainly been in supporting roles. But I thought this was going to be like, like her movie, and I was very excited for that. But she dies in the opening scene. Or one of the opening scenes. There's kind of like two cold openers to the movie. One kind of that will get explained to you later. And another one that is like kind of setting up what is to come in the movie. So the million dollar question. What is this film about? Uh, This film is about a kind of like a chain. like, Like a chain email but like in phone calls. And basically like someone dies the they call somebody else and they receive a voicemail the voicemail like details like a moment of their death and like the voicemail is from like a point of time in the future where like this is the basically the date and time that you will die so like, one of the main characters gets a voicemail that's like wednesday at, like ten seventeen, and she's like wait that's two days from now and they're supposed to be like oh, well that is when you will die um, I, th- I would say first, right off the bat, the main problem with this movie, and if, if, if it's true that like this is given – like, if they followed the original film closely, I really think this is probably in the remake where they should have started to deviate from it. The movie is like too much like other things, right? So it's very – like as I just said, it's like a chainmail thing. What is the immediate thing you think of? You think of The Ring. And then I just told you that these movies have a, like, scheduled kind of death. This unavoidable time and date at which you will die. Well, what does that sound like to you? Final destination. Like, these movies... This movie incorporates a lot of elements from other things. And then you have, like, the the phone calls, which can kind of remind you of Scream and all of these other, like... You're just thinking of much better movies while watching this movie, which is always a problem, right? It is. They, they should have done something to kind of, like, switch it up, to kind of, like, make it a little bit different from all of these other movies. Because I was, the first thing I was like, oh, well, this is just, like, The Ring. Like, instead of a cursed videotape, it's a cursed phone call, and you can't, like, break the chain. And so I was like, man, I'm 45 minutes into this thing, and it's like, I would rather just be watching The Ring. Or, you know, you get this, like, there's a, a death scene maybe halfway through the movie of, like, a... Uh, I mean, I guess spoilers. I'll do full spoilers in these kind of discussions just because it's kind of necessary to talk about, like, why a movie does or does not work if you're trying to, like, dance around things. Not to mention, I really can't recommend you even watch this movie, so, like, forgive me for spoiling it. So, the the lead character's brother, uh, after his, like ex-girlfriend Leanne dies, uh, he's the one who gets the phone call next. And so, like, he like, goes out for coffee or whatever. He's talking to his sister, who, like, chases after him to make sure he's okay. And then you get, like, an explosion at a construction site, and he's, like, impaled with, like, a rod, like a steel rod of some sort, and he, like, dies. And then you see that scene, and then you're like, man, Final Destination's a pretty good movie, isn't it? Like, I wish I was watching that instead. So I think that that's the inherent problem. I think there's another inherent problem in the movie, but this is a big one. The big one is, like, while this movie is not as good as other things that it is in direct conversation with, Borderline ripping off all of these other things. Now, I will be interested to watch the Japanese version of said film, because, like, I'm wondering if Takashi Miike, like, even if it's beat for beat kind of similar plot wise. I'm sure he has a lot of stylistic elements to the movie that might make it a little more interesting to watch, or perhaps there's a little bit better performances in the Japanese version that make it a little more interesting to watch because there's, there's nothing about this like movie that is even like remotely redeemable. Like there's, there's, I think there's two things about the movie that I genuinely like. And one of them is like the creepy like song that plays when you get like the voicemail right there's a scene where the two two girls um taylor and beth they take the batteries out of their phone kind of thinking like no batteries she even like says it in the movie like oh no power no voicemails and it's just like you really think this is gonna work you're that's so stupid Anyways, and then the, the you hear in the middle of the night like the creepy song that plays. That's like, oh my god, she got she got the voicemail. She doesn't have power to her phone, but she got the voicemail. And like the creepy song that plays, I like. I think it's kind of creepy. But I'll give them that. Kind of a weird, kind of a weird sound. And then the other thing is like a woman, like a like an hallucination, right? That's that's the big thing. That's like kind of where all your your scare factor is coming from when. You receive the phone call, you start getting hallucinations of like these creepy things that like are around. And one of them is a woman who like where her eyes are are like like mouths with sharp teeth, which is straight up ripping off Sandman because that's the image of the Corinthian from Sandman. Uh, but anyways, like that's still, like still like a really cool image. Uh, but other than that, like, this this film has n- almost nothing. Like, nothing, no scare factor, no, like, th- this is kind of, like, no, in an era where these kind of movies, like, don't have jump scares, like, I would, I'm going to be very interested to, like, keep watching through, like, these kind of bad studio horror movies that get released, trying to figure, like, where jump scares kind of started, because I'm not even sh- certain that, like, jump scares have really been like indoctrinated into mainstream popular studio horror movies at this point in time. So I'll be interested to see like when that starts because there's no, like I was expecting some like, okay, like mainstream studio horror movie. You're going to give me some jump scares, some creepy music. bah. I, I don't think there's one in the movie. Uh, that's and That's like the big problem. Like the movie has bad performances across the board. Except for Ray Wise, which we will talk about. I don't think this movie was shot digitally. Like, I'm pretty sure it was still shot on 35mm. But it just has this disgusting digital look to it. Like, almost like it was done, like, in post-production. Like, almost the entire movie is just, like, gray and brown and green. And just, like, gross. Like, just disgusting to look at. It looks like very bad early days of digital. Like, it looks like 28 Days Later... But like worse and like for no purpose, like at least there's a stylistic choice to like why Danny Boyle used digital cameras in 28 Days Later. But like I can't figure out why this movie looks as disgusting as it does. And so like there's just bad to look at. No scares, no like creepy factor. There's no like real horror to this movie even, like, the mystery of it all isn't that interesting and I think is kind of convoluted and confusing. Um, and I just I just don't... I didn't care. I didn't care about anything. And you're kind of just like, why is this character here? Like, what are they even doing? And I think that really comes into play with this character of the detective. So probably 15 to 20-ish minutes into this movie, we get introduced to this detective character. His sister dies... And his sister is part of this chain, right? They find the same kind of hard candy in her mouth, which looks like a marble the entire movie. And I didn't realize it was a hard candy until the very end, where she's like, it's a hard candy. I'm like, oh, that's what that's supposed to be. Okay. Uh, So we have this detective, and he just becomes, like, very involved in this story. And I think, like, that's a thing in Japan where, like, it's the detectives, and, like, they're trying to, like, figure out, like, a lot of this stuff. And we even – we have that kind of storytelling in america but it's like in like mainstream hollywood movies but it's usually like they're they're the main character and like we have this detective in this movie who's not the main character who's kind of always around like helping these people like figure out what's happening where i think typically how this movie is usually made in the west would be like it's a group of teenagers and they're figuring out all of this right like in, in the ring it's like a single mother and she is trying to figure out how all of this is taking place to save like their child or whatever and like it just it doesn't make it's just really weird like here here is this like older man this like man in his early 40s who just becomes wrapped up in like all the the struggles of these like college kids and like there's kind of too much of an age gap for you to have like some kind of romantic connection between the two of them. So he's just kind of like always there and is like weirdly protective of her, even though like, like the case just the police don't really seem to have that much involvement, like in the case. And so it's just kind of like, like, what are you doing here? It's so bizarre. And I think like the movie probably works better if it's told from one perspective or another, if it's the detective who's trying to, like, investigate the death of his sister, that's your story. Or if it's this group of teenagers and all of your friends start dying, that's the story. But, like, trying to merge these two things together, like, I just don't think it really works. You, there, there's nothing saying you have to make this movie, like, shot for shot or, like, beat by beat the exact same. Like, you're doing a remake, you're doing, like, you're making it for Western audiences, like kind of don't feel like so beholden to it. I don't understand. I don't understand this need to like make it so much like the Japanese movie. Like do it in a way that it's going to like enthrall Western audiences or don't make it at all. Like just leave it alone. Just tell people to go watch the original version. But anyways, the detective is just very out of place here. Um, I, I think this movie probably works a lot better if it's just college kids all their friends dying and they're just trying to figure out why which leads us to like the reveal and like the kid i just i don't know as though i really understand any of that it becomes like very convoluted i don't understand how the curse is originated i certainly don't understand like the ending and like i just i I just think the the movie is just full of mess it is just a messy, messy movie that just looks awful and has bad performances. Now, the part of the movie that I like, that I, also, another thing, like, you're making this movie, you're have the you adapting it to Western audiences, you can kind of do whatever you want. This is kind of the angle that I wish they were going down. So there's a moment... In the movie, after Taylor gets the phone call, she knows she's going to die. She's visited by Ray Wise, and Ray Wise is a TV producer. He hosts a reality television show called American Miracles. He claims that someone in his family was once possessed by demons, and you know what? Hey, I want to help you. Like, I want I want to perform this exorcism on you to kind of help you break this curse. That is, That is so much better. Do that with the movie. Like, oh, okay, well, you become part of this thing where you're going to be an exorcism. It's going to be on live TV. You have all this, like, cool stuff you can start to play with, but it's, like, five minutes of the movie, and it, again, it also just feels, like, really out of place because we're to spend, like, a lot of time away from the, quote-unquote, two main characters that we've established to tell, like, this side of what's going on, and it just, like, it just feels... Like, that was a weird tangent that we just went on for almost no purpose at all. Like, why did we do that? I just, there's a lot of, like, weird threads that are going and that they don't really seem like they connect very well at the end. And I just think that, like, they probably would have been better just stripping the movie to its essentials and then just kind of, like, picking a direction and going that way. You either are going with the college kids, you're going with the evangelist on TV who's gonna exercise you, or you're going with the detective trying to solve the murder case for his sister. You have three very distinct stories there that you're trying to enter. Not to mention like the backstory of the curse and all of that stuff that they try to just overlay over all of this. Like you have there's just way too much. Way too much that they're trying to tie all together in the end, and it just it just does not work. It is a it's a failure. And the the studios they probably watch it and they're probably like, this is not very good. Just dump it in January and we'll cut our losses. You know, thankfully we only spent twenty million dollars on this. I don't really think any of the actors from this movie went on to do anything grand. Uh, nothing against them. Like I'm not necessarily saying they're bad actors. I'm just saying like these are bad performances uh and then i guess briefly i think the thing that hurts this movie a lot is the pg-13 rating and i mean this is going to be a big like discussion topic right like making things pg-13 because you can get the teenage crowd that you can't get with an r rating and i think the mpa has kind of like loosened up like I don't, we don't see that many pg-13 horror movies anymore and i think that's a big i think a big part of it is that like teenagers don't go to movies anymore and so maybe that's why we've kind of started to see people shift away from that but in this period in this time period you have a lot of pg13 horror movies in an attempt to get a youthful audience out to see your movie and i think that's a that's a good idea but like what i think this movie like hurts from a movie that is very much about Like, another direction you could have gone with the movie is just really leaning into that final destination connection. And really leaning into, like, okay, well, we have these set times. These people will die. Like, let's let's do the most that we can with that. And you have these elaborate, like, set pieces and death scenes and stuff like that. And then you just drop the PG-13 rating. Because, like, a big – something that is just very noticeable – is like there's some very what should be grisly deaths in this movie. Like if you account for like just human anatomy and how it works. There should be some very like bloody deaths in the movie. And there's just like nothing. Like it'd be one thing if they just like dropped dead. Or they like suffocated. Or something like that. And then you just like chalk that up to like well you know it is what it is. You know they just died. PG-13. No blood. Nothing. But when people get hit by trains. Or when they get, like, a spike through their midsection, and it, like, goes, like, a medium shot, and you can see the spike coming through the stomach, and there's no blood? Like, not even, like, a ring of blood in the shirt, not even, like, a drip of blood anywhere on the the pole, and you're like, how, what? How did that happen? How is there not a single drop of blood in this scene? Like, and then when she gets hit by a train... And, like, the woman just stands there and is watching it. And, like, there's not, like, any blood splatter on you. Like, nothing. It's just a cut-and-dry, clean death. Like, <laughs> I'm not, like, I'm not saying that, like, the movie can't be good without that stuff. but I'm just saying, like, it's the first thing that you think about when you're just, like, when you see a pole through someone and there's, there's no, not even, like, a ring of blood around him. It's just, like, well, how does that happen? It sticks out. It's noticeable. You go, what's going on here? Anyways, that is one missed call. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being here. Like the video, share it with your friends, subscribe to the channel. If you are listening to this on your favorite podcast app, make sure you leave us a review, give us a rating, anything. If you want to reach out to us, you can. All of that information will be in the description below or in the show notes of this episode. And until next time, keep watching great movies. Goodbye.